All right, good morning. Welcome to day four of the Great American Outdoor Show. I am here with Mr. George Wong and Jeremy Martin. Last year, at this time, we were probably doing the same thing. Yep. Probably so. How's the show going for you so far? Based on the show attendance as of this moment, I think I would say a little bit lower than last year. Just a touch behind last year is kind of what we're thinking as well. Mm-hmm. But that said, we still get to talk to a lot of people. Absolutely. A lot of people coming through the booths. And the goal of this podcast, the goal of your uh, pretty much life in archery is to educate people. Absolutely. That's the reason I'm here. So we're going to try to do some education today. And we're, I want to talk about four or five topics that are probably the most misunderstood or uh, misinformed topics of archery regarding the arrow itself. Okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... I'm a Great American Outdoor Show consumer, and I'm coming to the Fire Knock booth, or I'm coming over to the Exodus booth to talk about arrows, mm-hmm. and you guys are the professionals, and I'm going to give you a scenario, and you're going to tell me which topic do you think is more important, and which do you think is harder to convince the consumer to change, okay? Mm-hmm. You up for that? Yep, I'm always up for that, because that's pretty much what I face every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right, the first two topics... I'm a consumer, and I want to come to you, and I say, I want a – I'm not changing off of one of these, right? Mm-hmm. I want a 166.001 arrow. Mm-hmm. Does the 166 matter more, or does the .001 matter more or less? Which one? If the idea is 166 and, and also 001, yep. if that the answer between the two is – if you want a benefit, you're better off with just looking at the 166 and not worry about the 001. Okay, so straightness is less important than shaft diameter. Correct. The reason for that because we need to understand the 166 construction process. That's only two major construction process 166. One is a, 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 a basic, both of them are basic row. The one is a centerless grind process. The other is a row process. So the strictness of the 166, because the way they are made, the strictness is really as less critical than it is because if you really look at every single model of 166 besides the one I had, you put a caliper on the thickness of the wall, they're not the same. Sure. So if from the front to the back, from side, look at basic four corners, your cardinal four corners of the thickness. If they are not, quote-unquote, 100% equivalent, the strictness you're looking for is the OD of the shaft because most of the 166 is what you use called a centerless grind process. That means you grind it without controlling the center, which means the grinding process is just make the outside as strict as possible. Okay. So when an arrow flexes, it flexes from the weakest point. Well, actually, the weakest point from the arrow which is going to flex towards and we pretty much know it will be, if we simply assume the material is homogeneous in the 166, which is a lot more import, a lot more than compared to the other because the thickness is thicker. I mean, it's, uh, the, the, the ratio of thickness to the wall in 166 is the highest. Right. Because see, the moment you go to the 125, except only one company I know would make the 125, 125,000 in the hunting arrow, which they are not very successful for that exact reason. Now, if the wall thickness is not the same, the strictness of the arrow becomes less and less important because when the arrow bend, it's going to go for the thinner side. Sure. Or the as weaker the weaker side. side. Yep. So under that condition of the question of 166 and 001, the, in, the 166 is a more important factor over the 001. Okay, so we're saying we'd rather you shoot a smaller diameter shaft than a straighter arrow. Correct. Jeremy, which, do you, which of those two topics do you think the consumer has a harder time coming away from? Do you think it's harder to tell people straightness doesn't matter or the shaft diameter doesn't matter? Oh, it's by far the straightness. You think it's harder to educate people on, like, yes. you don't need a .001 arrow? 100%. Why do you think that is? The industry. For Just the past 50 years, mm-hmm. that's Just what we've preached. Straightness, yep. straightness. That's every... Uh, magazine ad you see, zero zero one straightness, and it's just been beat into our heads, and we've been taking that forever. Sure. And so 
briefly tell me why the marketing or the industry or whatever we're telling people is misinformation? Well, I think the, the biggest part of that is all we are paying for in a 001 is an extra sorting process, and they're charging you a premium price, and our arrows are already flexing an exorbitant amount of, what, up to 500,000, 250 to 500,000. What's 1,000th going to do? Right. What's 4,000th going to do? Right. I mean, it's, it's very negotiable. And you can save a ton of money. Absolutely. Going yeah. to a, a point zero zero six even. Yeah. Because um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned from Dorge and just the last couple years of manufacturing arrows and working and selling arrows is that I'm not a good enough archer to know the difference anyway. Well, right. actually, I won't say that. Let me bring this back at one point because I think a lot of people misunderstood. When you got a 001 and a 006 and you do not know how to build both, the 001 will win every time. That's a be- Yeah, that's a good point. That is a very important point because most people, since they don't know how to build arrow, the 001 gives them a very good margin of error to build a better arrow. Okay. Now, the moment you learn how to build an arrow, I can confidently say a 010 and a 001 if you shoot, don't shoot over 50 yards, they are about the same. Really? Because if you launch, the launch cycle is different. The arrow point movement is now 1,000 compared to 10,000. You exaggerate up to 60 yards. It may be a difference of an inch. Off an inch at 60 yards. Right. Now, if you build them even better, it control the... I mean, to be frank with you, we, I also learned very shortly is that when you buy a bundle of, say, 300 size arrow, okay? Yeah. The, the spine can be up and down as much as 15,000 each way. Sure. I mean, the better ones, like the <laughs> X10s and so on, their spine is actually plus than 5,000 each way. Another word, you buy a bundle of 300, you end up with 305 and 295. Yeah. But most arrow is between 290 and 310. Yeah. But some of them are as bad as 285 all the way to 320. And to make things worse, company from company at time they make it it can be a whole bundle of 290 287 to 315 so that's where and, and as a fact i just talked to uh, marvin Carlson, one of the old original maker of carbon arrow who's used to be the president of gold tip the only thing they can possibly reasonable sort is two things weight and using a laser system straightness. Straightness and weight. Because see, by doing this too, they can only do this too with reasonable. That's the reason they can only use it as a charging and differentiation for different products. Because the original history of a 001 is that when GoTip come with the original GoTip hunters, they say that's not good. We need difference. But they only got one piece, which is the original 246. So with the 1,000, they got a Pro 100. 3,000, they got a 100. 5,000 got Expedition. And 8,000 got Expedition 100. That's the only difference. Sure. And then slap a label on it. Right. So you make one product, you have four grades for char- four different prices. And they already make money on the 8,000 straightness. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the margin just increases the straighter. But the straighter then at the same area. time, I'll give you a history. Back in, back in the early 1990s, every 1,000 um, thousand pieces of Pro 100, the, the 246 they make, they got a neighbor of 10%, that's 1,000. Sure. But then in the early, late uh, 20, 2010s, they are closing to 85 because Adelada is doing that for them, yep. which is now the victory. Yep. Now they're going back to themselves. Sure. But then, of course, Marvin is no longer with the company. I don't know what they're doing now. Yeah. So, okay, so that leads me into the, let's talk about the other side of this, the, the shaft diameter, because this is another... Uh, what I what I want to do here is cover each of these topics mm-hmm. because all of them are going to be things that we can educate people on. So, shaft diameter is the other end of that conversation with the consumer mm-hmm. because we're not necessarily pushing people into a one six six arrow. We like, you know what I mean. We're you want to find optimum, right? So, what would be the conversation that you have, Jeremy? I'll start with you. What would be the conversation? That you have with someone that's like, I gotta shoot a 166 because the shaft, the smaller the diameter, the less surface area, and the less wind drift. Right. Educate me on what's actually happening there. Okay, so the the I try to keep it real simple with with the customers. If 
they're running a 166 because strictly because of penetration right or wind drift we talk about uh veins because that's what's making your arrow move left to right in the wind sure so it's not always uh the diameter and also for penetration you're cutting a, at least a one inch hole so what does a 166 or a 246 have to do with it right in my opinion yep um so we just talk through that, you know, and get a lot of feedback from the customer. I mean, I have, you know, up to two, three-hour conversations on phones or text message. Uh, so we just talk our way through it. It's, it's, you know, sometimes they're dead set on it and they don't care and that's what they want, so that's what I build. If I'm open to it, right, If I'm, mm-hmm. a, but I want to understand. I want to know, okay, what would be – everyone tells me that if I have less surface area on my shaft, I'm going to get better penetration. Right. And I'm, but I'm like, well, I'm open to shooting a 246. Tell, like, tell me a little bit about the difference in the way the shaft behaves that's going to aid either way. Okay, so your your 166 is definitely going to be the the most durable, as far as you know, impact. Sure. There, because just because of the sheer wall thickness, your 246 is going to be the most um, responsive, as far as a, the typical hunting shaft goes. You know, the 246 is going to recover a lot faster. It's going to um, still carry a lot of speed, I mean, regardless of that. But it's going to be um, more prone to breakage because of the thinner wall. So, I mean, I'm kind of known for the 204. So I'm the 204 guy. I'll push you 204s all day long because it's the combination of both. Sure. You get a little bit of diameter that you're looking for. You get a little bit of the recovery. Just mash it all together. The only uh, the only thing is a lot of people don't like the half outserts. Okay. So we gotta we gotta talk about that as well. Sure. You know what do you do with your arrow when you're done running it through an animal? Yeah. Do you put it on the wall, or do you put it back in the quiver? Yeah. And I'm the kind of guy that puts mine on the wall. Um, but if you're continuously running an arrow through an animal, it's usually a 246. Okay. Because that's the most, as far as component wise. You're right. It's the most stable. Sure. For components. Yeah. George, give us the we- in-the-weeds version of what's happening, why we talk about wind drift and mm-hmm. what actually an arrow is doing in the air. Mm-hmm. The shaft diameter is kind of misconceived here, so give oh, us yes. that information. Uh, let me give you an idea. We need to talk about different segments of the arrow in flight. Most people don't understand the first 20 yards of the arrow flight is one of the most un- unknown, Okay. Assuming that, right now, let's start do the benchmark on what are we dealing with. We're dealing with a 70-pound, 30-inch draw bow on a 32-inch arrow, okay? That's a long arrow. Yes, that's <laughs> a long arrow, but that is where we need to look at it, when they are all 300 spines, okay? Remember, so we have two-inch overhang on the arrow shaft. The 166 will take you about 20 to 23 yards to recover. Okay. When I say recover, it's that the arrow will flex in the air within 50,000 for the rest of the way. Sure. Not the initials, 12, 15, 18 inch based on the shaft diameter. When we say recover, we're talking about stable flight. The, the, first of all, there's no stable flight. Well, I mean, like, as stable as you can it's get. As stable the, the, the arrow, spin. yep, the arrow is going to flex in ter- on itself by about 50,000 on the rest of the way. That's going to happen on a 166, about 20 to 23 yards. The 202 well built is going to be 20 yards. The 246, about 18, and the old double X75 is where the gold standard is about 16 yards. Okay. Which is the reason that if you look at the older shop, the minimum requirement for a range is 16 yards because they are expected to shoot double the X75. Right. Now, as the reason for that, because as you increase the wall thickness, which will decrease the diameter, the memory effect of the shaft becomes significant. That's the reason the only way to play this is that you need to decrease the front of center on the thinner shaft in order to compensate it because you are forcing the shaft to flex more. Mm-hmm. As you increase the, the frontal area weight, you also increase the magnitude and the magnitude of the flex of the shaft. Sure. Now, this is where the really comes in. If you have a thinner shaft, you're allowed to flex. You figure that you'll go through, go through the wind easier, but you also forgot one thing. You have, you have veins on it. I mean, if you look at every single commercial on all the lighter knocks, you'll see most of the arrow in the 166 will flex between 12 to 18 inch left and right when they first launch it. Yeah, that's 
that, that itself, you, you need to think about not the shaft diameter, but how big an effect of that vein to the wind, which is, I mean, if you listen to the podcast long enough, you understand, that's where the crosswind signature and the entire area of air affected, affected by the arrow. Sure. As a matter of fact, if you really draw a 166 on a table, or the 166 outside diameter compared to two, say 2764, like a go to XXX, the two circles are very similar in actual diameter of what you go through air. Then you put the veins on it. It's pretty much no difference. Right. That means if you are able to make the arrow shoot as strict as possible with less than 5,000 flex at the rent to row, the 166 and 2764 technically have no difference. Okay. I mean, would they have a difference at 125 yards? Yes, there will be. Sure. I mean, anything would be. Right. Uh, so I have a little bit, I think I have a little bit different opinion on which one of those two topics is harder to convince the consumer. I think it's, in what I've dealt with, it's easier to get people to come off the straightness than to come off the diameter. Because um, you can show people the flight difference. Mm-hmm. It's harder to show the penetration difference. Well, actually, the this is what happened. I think a lot of people, last year was the first year I actually looked at some basic, what you call it, amateur radio, a video on YouTube. You'll find out a whole bunch of guys shooting a brand new Hoyt, brand new Matthew, brand new Botac, shooting at a North Carolina, Georgia, or Florida deer. Sure. Shooting at t- under 20 yards, the arrow go in three inches on a 166. Mm-hmm. Then they, I mean, if you look at it, especially most of them shoot light and arc, you can see the arrow go into the animal, the entire tail of the arrow flex back and forward. This time, because it's anchored close to 20 inches, sure. because you can see the video. And people should, should instantly think through this. This is critical. If the arrow is flexing so much, because it's, it has not finished the flex, the arrow is not penetrating straight, right. which also means that the kinetic energy is all going to vectors. Mm-hmm. Your penetration have technically not. Right. So if you want to shoot an animal, say, that close, you're better off shooting the largest animal without veins and go with the heaviest front. Yeah. Because now the, it's just a whipping of a whip. It's a whipping of an arrow with a vein on it. Sure. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I mean, I think another concept or reason why it's a little bit easier is because typically the smaller in diameter you go, the more expensive the arrow gets. Right. And then when you go the opposite way with straightness, so I, I can tell you, like, hey, I'll sell you a 204 in a .001 for $250 a dozen bare shafts. Or I'll sell you a 204 and a .006 for $150. And then you can show them, like, I'll build this arrow to fly just as good as that .001. You save 90 bucks. Right. And I think it's easier to maybe convince them to come off of that from that perspective because of price point. Well, that, that actually is very true. But you need to understand the manufacturing process. Uh, it, it depends on how the – there's so many different manufacturing process to make an arrow. An arrow. Based on the process and based, to be frank with you, one of the cheapest to make a 166 extruded. I mean, seriously, on the, on the pure manufacturing process, you can build an arrow for under 70 cents in cost. That's really cheap. Yes, I know that. <laughs> and if you mass produce doing it in the extrude process, the cheapest I've ever quoted is 43 cents a piece. Wow. But then, do you really want to use it? As I said, if you shoot anything 300 spine, it's not a bad deal. I'll give example. 400 or up, it's going to no, be No, 300 brutal. up. 300 and, and, and 350 is marginal. Sure. Because he, now you're dealing with extrusion. There's no protection. There's no, uh, uh, what you call it, shaft explosion protection. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like you can build, I mean, just like today's world. I think I'll use car as an example. You can build a car that can go really fast the moment you take away all the safety precautions. Yep. Think about it. Ninety percent, over seventy percent of the car that costs money now is based on safety precautions. Sure. You don't have crumple zone. You don't have anything. Just strict beams. The car is going to be light, heavy, good suspension. Sure. But then, do you really want to be in when you crash? Yeah. <laughs> but the same thing with arrows. When the arrow failed, do you want to find out how it failed? That will cost you your arm. That's where the problem is. Yeah. If it's costing me my arm now, if it kills the animal and then breaks, then I'm like, okay, it did its job. But if it breaks before it kills the animal, we got a problem. Right. That's the reason, right. you know, just like every in the industry, we notice every single arrow, they all have a stickers on it. Flex before shoot. 
Right. Because see, even the best arrow, if you do not pick precaution and sort the arrow and inspect the arrow and shoot it, you're playing Russian roulette. But of course, sure. the worse build the arrow, the more you're going to go into this area. Just like, I would just do a little bit of advertising, like the final arrow wave. When you break it, it's going to break into pieces. Sure. It will not spur. Right. If it spurs, it'll be so much cheaper to build. Yeah, right. And you'll give you a stiffness, the lightweight, the whole nine yard. Yep. All right. So those two topics, good. We're good on those. We're in agreement. This next one, I'm not going to compare it to anything because it's going to need its own topic. Um, John Dudley talked on a podcast recently, and he said that this year's TAC event, he experienced the worst aeroflight he's ever seen. And he is... Um, saying the cause of that is high FOC, right? We've seen the trend. Mm-hmm. You came back from TAC, and you said, I just can't get over the aeroflight this year, the trajectory and all the bad stuff. So I'm a great American outdoor show consumer. I consume a lot of content online, and I come to you and say, I'm going to build this arrow, and I'm going to shoot a um, 19% FOC arrow this year. I need you to build me an arrow. Talk me off the ledge. Jeremy, I'll start with you. <laughs> Talk you off the ledge. Uh, well, the higher, it, it's a hard conversation to have because there's so much stuff out there that is pushing high, ultra high, extreme high, whatever they call it now. Um, so we just try to have an honest conversation about, you know, diminishing returns. You know, I can load the front up as much as you want to load it up. But what is it actually doing for you, especially in if we're talking tack? Right. Why? Well, that's, yeah. So um, let's go back. <laughs> tack is easier to explain, yeah. right? Tack's a little bit easier. Like, you're not going to shoot an 80-yard target very accurately with that. So let's just go into a hunting scenario. Okay. But I'm that guy, right? Okay. I'm, I'm a PA guy, right. and I'm shooting... My max yardage is going to be 40 yards. Okay. Still kind of out there, right? Right. But um, I'm still, I got to shoot a 19% FOC because Dr. Ashby said I do. Okay. I would tend to agree with Dr. Ashby if you were shooting a stick and a string. Okay. And you were shooting a super slow, low speed. Um, you know, if you're a 50 pound guy, 50 pound draw guy, 26 inches, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you're going to need some momentum. You're going to need some weight to carry you. Yep. But the, to say it needed to be all FOC, I don't totally agree with. Okay. Because we have ways to build the arrow to make it um, heavier with still the proper spine without putting a 300-grain broadhead on the front, which I think is ridiculous. Right. But um, – and there's, there's just some guys that you just can't talk them off that ledge. I mean, I'm going to be 100% honest. I've had customers, like, not do a build because I told them I never, I don't know what the FOC is. I don't yeah. look it up. I don't do the measurement. I don't do none of that. I right. build an area that's going to fly good. Yeah. And what it is, it is. Right. And they, like, cannot handle that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. We see that a lot. Yeah. Um, George, give us kind of, like, the technical reasoning on why maybe the, the high FOC is not the way to go with a modern compound. That's the mo- most important word, the modern compound, okay? The word modern compound is actually, it's not a good word. Because if you really enjoy hunting, I mean, PSC one of the few companies who actually still give you a cam of 65% off. Oh, PSC does? Yes, but you had a special order it. The whole idea of high FOC, high FOC with high let off, that's where the problem is. It's not high FOC is the problem. High FOC is fantastic for stick ball. Packing bush needed if you can control your uh, your spine of your shaft. Mm-hmm. That's the reason, you know, if you can get a stick ball to shoot a high FOC, you pretty much got it. Yep. But then with the high with the high let off more than compound, with the high FOC, it's the, it's the worst of both worlds. Because, see, you need to look at the, the, first of all, you need to understand what high let off means. High let off means that you are very you you pull back a very holding a very small percentage of the power, which also instantly equivalent to a longer duration of power stroke. Mm-hmm. That means the time is being applied power to the arrow shaft, which which is equivalent to the amount of the arrow need to resist that pressure the duration 
the duration of time taken. That's where most of the problem it is. I really do not know how to tone it down because see, this is the worst case scenario. Now the arrow had to resist the flex and still recover from it. Now with the heavy FOC, the entire the momentum of what you're resisting is significantly more, which means the spine of the shaft is significantly decreases, which means the arrow is going to take even longer time to recover. Your penetration begin to suffer. Right. So I think the simple way that I like to tell people is that um, it's just harder to get. I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's harder to get perfect arrow flight when your arrow is so far out of balance. Okay, let me let me let me put it back one way. It is easy to get one arrow to fly exactly the same, but not more than one. Do That's you know a good why? point too. Do you know why? Well, I, because you are compressing each of the arrow to its maximum right. and beyond. Yeah. So each of the arrow is going to behave differently, which make every single arrow a separate tune. Which is probably why... Impossible. It's probably why um, Troy Fowler tells everyone that they need to paper tune every arrow. Correct. Right. Because you're pushing the spine characteristic of each arrow to its max. And as I said, when you buy a bundle of arrow, none of the spine is exact. When you're pushing it, you're going to make the 290 show up between the 310 extreme. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess I didn't think of it that way. I started thinking about it as you were talking about it, and I was like, okay, that's going to make sense. Mm -hmm. But right. um, the, what we need to be chasing is not a number. We need to be chasing a characteristic. Correct. See, as a matter of fact, I got customers come to me. They absolutely no question. I think shooting the freaking 175 grain with a 100 grain insert. Can you make it shoot? Answers yes. But now you need to think of how do you make the arrow to behave the way you want to behave. Yep. That's where arrow concept kick in. I put an arrow in the front, put in the back, and now you change the entire flex trajectory. The parabolic action of shaft is minimized. The oxidation process is minimized. Now the arrow is shootable. But then theoretically, you are decreasing. You're, you're forcing the arrow to decrease its parabolic action in flight. Okay. Which now the FOC will, but then you also increase the entire arrow weight. Now you also decreases the entire, though you increase the pin gaps, which means your error is more prone in, in hunting. So, how do I say it? Just like everything in life, there's no free lunch. Yeah. What are you giving up? Yeah. What are you actually giving up and is it worth it? Right. I think uh, I listened to, did Jeremy, do you listen to podcasts? Oh, yeah. George, do you? Uh, some of them, <laughs> <Do you? laughs> because I just got too many stuff to listen. <laughs> sure. So there was an interesting podcast with um, Josh Jones, MFJJ. Mm -hmm. Brandon McDonald was kind of like the narrator, and Troy Fowler. Um, and they were just talking through kind of all of this stuff, and it was a good conversation. And Brandon McDonald brought up a really good point, and he said that Troy is educating people based on a different worst-case scenario than we are educating people on. Right. Troy's worst-case scenario is you hit forward. A lot of other people in the archery industry's worst-case scenario is hitting backwards. So the Troy's information makes sense when you're aiming for the lower part of the heart. And then if you hit forward, you're crushing the leg bone. And on a pig, which is what he's shooting a lot of, the vitals are right behind the shoulder. So you have to get through it. And then what are most people hunting? Whitetails. Mm -hmm. The vitals are in a different place. So your um, aiming point should be further back. So we have two different worst-case scenarios, and that's why like no one can agree on which way do we need to go. Right. What we're saying is you need to be more accurate. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to shoot a straighter arrow, and you need to get there as fast as you can. Correct, because the manual will move, and not to mention there's other, other factors. Just like, you know, I'm more into crossbow because all my customer is older, they're more educated, they're actually whoa, more experienced. Whoa. No, because they make more error. <laughs> they have make more error than most. I'm just kidding. I mean, you know, I, I, a lot of people, they, based on age, you usually learn from mistakes. And, of course, we've got exception to that rule, which <laughs> I have seen a few. <laughs> but then you need to understand when you're dealing with aero flight, 
the first, I think the most important word that I want to sort of make everybody recognize is optimal. It's not which way of the extreme. So you need to look at the basic chart, like your speed, your penetration, your forgiveness, your trajectory, your flatness. Look at the six points. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then draw your arrow. You want to be as nice a circle as you can get. To touch all of those to things. To touch all of them. Yep. Right. I mean, at this current moment, I, would, I can pretty much vary based on if you want to shoot a 95% out of bow, technically the only way to get it is shooting a 300 size ID with the Aero Concept 2.0. That will give you the best of everything. Sure. But now tell you, a hunter that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but the, here's the thing. It, I've, I find it really weird. You know, crossbow guys, I've shot a crossbow. My son shoots a crossbow. They shoot a 300 ID shaft. Nobody blinks about it. Yeah. You tell them to shoot a 300 ID through a vertical bow. Won't do it. They're going to look at you like you're standing on your head. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absurd to think that you use a quote-unquote target shaft to kill deer yeah. or you know whatever you're you're hunting but i don't necessarily think that a lot of compound guys that are going towards the smaller diameter shafts know what size a crossbow bolt or arrow is right because they've never seen one or whatever i didn't know i was like i probably fell along the lines like you just cut the arrow shorter and you shoot it out right like it well in the whatever. old days it is the size because you understand the original, the one in this current world, if you want to buy the best arrow you can buy, shooting a 70 pound, 30 inch, uh, 70 pound, 30 inch bow, if you don't want anything, you want an arrow that will give you the most efficient, you're shooting 80 to 85 percent of, it's a gold tip 22. And guess what a gold tip 22 is? Shaft. No, it's not. It is the OXX75 in the carbon form. Oh, the aluminum shaft. Correct. Okay. Okay. It is the okay. original size, XX2264. So if you think about it, our father, our grandfather, and beyond, when first come out, everybody, that XX75 have proven itself is the best diameter shaft ever to shoot based on a broadhead. And is that, that's because of flight characteristics? No, recovery characteristics. Well, sure. Which is flight characteristics, yeah. yes. So, so I got something that, that I just want to throw in there. You know, we've talked about, you know, John Dudley, you know, and then you got Randy Hendricks, all these old guys that are like assassins, right. you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, what era was they using? They was using probably a 2213. Yeah. Um, that's a 300. Yeah. <laughs> but now they're like, oh, my, no, we can't do that. You know, we got to be shooting a 166. With well, it's even those same guys doing it. Exactly, 100%. It's the same exact guys that was shooting 2213s, 2212s, you know, 2219s way back then. Yeah. That are now like, oh, that's like a cardinal sin to be shooting something that's over, you know, if it's over 204, it's almost, you know, like you're way outside of the box. And it's, it's just absurd in my book. I mean, if it works... Shoot it. Yeah, when I look at, um, when I talk to consumers my age and younger. Oh, they don't have a clue what an aluminum shaft is. Well, that that's <laughs> part of it. But also, when I tell someone that the 246 is a standard diameter shaft, that, like, doesn't make sense to them. No. They're like, what do you mean standard? Like, well, that's, like, the standard diameter shaft. Everything under that is smaller. Right. And they're like, no. there's no, Like, they would think that is the standard. Right, and everything else is. Do you yeah. know why 246 is the standard? Components? No, because at that at the moment of building arrows, when Goldtip, Beeman, all the rest of the company try to build a carbon shaft, to build a carbon shaft at the 2264 size, which is what Goldtip 22 is, is extremely difficult. Mm. We're talking back in the 1990s. So in order to make a shaft that's cheap enough, good enough, based on the material of the day, based on the method built of the day, the 246, 244, 243, 245, which is what standard is, that's the reason, if you look at it, the 244 is what Carbon Express is, 245 is what Black Eagle is, 246 is what Gold Tip is, and 243 is what the Carbon Force is. they all around that area because that, based on the material, based on the approach to build, the methodology to build it, that is the most efficient. I mean, can they build thinner? Yes, they can. I mean, that's the reason back then, compared 246 and 300, that would go to 22. Remember, 300 ID, the outside is 2264. For the guys who really don't know the specifications, when you say 2219, what does that really mean? 
That means the first two number is based on 22 over 64. That means that's the, o, that's the OD of the shaft. And the 19 is the thickness of the aluminum. Right. So you can have 2019 compared to 2013. That's 6,000 thickness difference. That's how you make the different spine to shoot. Sure. That makes so, sense. So you need to understand. So just like everything we do today is actually based on the history that we have accumulated. But unfortunately, people keep think, throwing history away and say, well, we do it now this way. Yeah. And then they find out what are, what are the benefits you get out of it. Right. Which is a lot, of, a lot of very unfortunate situation. And I think we need to, as me, being sort of a quasi professor for all my life, I think what they give you is not just the fundamental, but the history and the reason and the build up of why we're doing this today and yeah. the way we did it. Right. So now let me ask you this. Which of those two topics, shaft diameter, FOC, which one's harder to get the consumer to change their mind on? FOC is easy for me. Because I can, I can just put a different broad out and they tell them to shoot it. The result is obvious. There's right. no if. But so, is it that obvious though? Like you can only shoot the like. I only care about what it does to an animal. I don't care what it does in a target. No, mm -hmm. no, no, no. You can, see, this is another thing. A lot of people don't understand when you shoot a heavy FOC arrow, and then you see how the arrow impact the target. Especially now, the time use a foam target to show them. Shoot the arrow with heavy FOC at 60 yards and look at how the arrow hit the target. Yes, if you aim the ammo at the heart, and where is that arrow going through the animal? What are you killing? Right. You're killing under the heart now. Yeah, because of the angle of the penetration. Jeremy, do you think it's harder to tell people that um, they don't need high FOC or they don't need microdiameter arrows? That's like a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're both... Very passionate about very those. yeah yeah those two groups of and I hate to like segregate people but you know the the high FOC group that group of folks I mean it's like talking to a brick wall sometimes sure um, but if they're open you know and and a lot of the the younger crowd I hate to say it they're more naive so they're willing to listen a little bit mm -hmm. and if you can just get your foot in the door. And, and start to show them facts and, you know, um, obviously YouTube videos. You know, there's a couple companies out there that's done some really good videos on super heavy arrows, super high FOC, um, and why it is not good. We can listen to the Ashby Theory all day long. Um, yeah, that guy was great. And I'm sure Range Ferry, you know, I can shoot at a pig 17 yards away sitting eating corn all day long too. It's not moving. Right. You know, what we're killing is moving. Yeah. So, I don't really don't, that's let a tough me, one. Let me bring it's it very to hard to, to figure that out. Let me bring it this. Is, this is where YouTube and all the social media really screw up. I did, I did mean screw up. How many people show the percentage of heavy FOC missed the arrow and not killed it? Yeah, and you don't see that. No, you, you never see to put, it. To be frank with you, if you are able to make a heavy FOC, thin arrow, connect with the animal, you win already. Right. The, pro the problem is that how many of them do not connect? Right. Yeah, I think, um, not to toot my own horn, but I did, a pretty good, um, I did a pretty good video on shooting a, uh, thing. I forget what the grains were. One was like 400 grain arrow, one was like a 500 grain arrow, and one was like 600 grain arrow. And I showed the difference of time to target, um, en kinetic energy, and momentum at range, at each different range for each different arrow. And the time to target significant, it was like when you put it into percentages, when you say it's like 0 0.01 second different, but that's 30% of the time the arrow's in flight, you start realizing like, oh, wow, that arrow takes 30% longer to get to the target than a 400 grain arrow. So I think uh, if you're interested in seeing some numbers on that, there is a video. But um, I don't think those numbers are really as critical as possible as I thought it is. Because if you have heavy FOC, uh, uh, thin arrows, and so on, when you maybe make the perfect connection, the after you connect is wonderful because momentum is on your side, slug force is on your side, penetration is on your side, everything's on your side. But the problem is that. How many of those arrows that never connected right. because of unforgiveness? Sure. Yeah, because of 
the trajectory and the time to target. Correct, then all of a sudden, how many videos you will see that people actually miss with those? Yeah. None. No. So whatever you see is the few percentage on the people who shot at five deer and finally one connected, that's the one you saw. Right. But the fact is that after you connected, heavy FOC, thin arrow, do have an extreme advantage because it's more durable, it go in with force, or going that, you go in with shoulder blades, no problem. But the fact is that if you never connected, who cares what they're hitting? Right, yeah, you're gonna penetrate like hell into the ground. So came back to your, your original question to me, and I'm sitting here thinking while Dorge is talking, you know, um, for my customer is, I'm not so much worried if I can make a 204, 166, or a 246 shoot. I mean, I can make a good quality product with any one of those three size diameters. Let's not concentrate on FOC. Let me build you an arrow that's going to be accurate. Yeah. Now he's talking. And that's all I'm worried about. Right. FOC is kind of a an afterthought to me. Yeah. You know, and I think I've already said it here in this show that. You know, they've asked me, and I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Right. Well, you can do the math when you when you get them, but I don't know. Do you do you have an idea of where they tip, like where the uh, where they typically fall? You want me to be 100 percent honest? Yeah. Nope. No. Don't have. I clue. know for me, the typical between for me to build an arrow is between nine to twelve. That's what we're seeing too. I mean, that would be my guess, but I've never, I've never, like, done it on a customer's dozen arrows, so I couldn't tell you. On the 204, uh, on the NIS, mm-hmm. we'll get some that creep up into the 15. Yes, that with, will. With the stainless steel insert, mm-hmm. and then you throw a 150 grain head on it or something. Some will creep up into the 15s. Right. And we haven't had negative feedback on it, but I'm willing to bet if that person took the 150 grain head and put a 100 grain head on it, the it, flight would probably Or probably even a 75 grain head. Right, and you because can't. You, you cannot get hunters to do that. That's a, that's a, yeah. I won't do it. You say sub 100 to uh, a hunter on a broadhead, and they look at you and giggle. I oh. won't, I won't do it. I'm, I, like, I just, it's in my brain or whatever. That's something you won't be able to talk me off the ledge on. Well, but, but then with that, remember the customer we have? 26, 26 inch draw, right. a 45 pound pull. What the fuck do you think you're going to put on it? Right. <laughs> I mean, the, the, for the first probably 10 years I hunted in the early 90s, was I was using a 75-grain rocket mini blaster, expandable blade broadhead coming out of a 55-pound bow, and, I mean, it killed animals. Yeah. I killed quite a few animals with it, but, I, I mean. Think, I think we make killing animals harder than it is. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's like, and here's another Here's another point that I want to make before we have to wrap this up and the national anthem starts yeah. coming on. Um, we spent, this is, let's just say this was an hour-long conversation. We spent 43 minutes now talking about the arrow, and what is really more important is the broadhead. Mm-hmm. 90% of your killing comes from what broadhead are you shooting, and nobody talks about it enough. There's well, actually, not enough emphasis put on the broadhead. This is where the I think the real conversation is like doing your cars. You want to talk a sports car. Do you want to talk a tire, suspension, chassis, or tires? The answer is that it has to be all of the about working together in sync. Sure. Just like you say, that's the reason my conversation with all my customers, the first thing I always ask, what broadhead you have to shoot? Mm-hmm. I will build from there. Because see, most people are so passionate about the broadhead. I would tell them, you want to shoot a 175, whatever that is, a silver flame, that's the one you want to shoot? I pretty much throw half the stuff away, say, okay, I may not be able to build it, but what kind of bow you shoot? When that two things come together, then you can envision the arrow, because you have to really basically look at that. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I just, I think... uh the education that we see online needs to be more about, like, I think there just needs to be more conversation about the broadhead and not on the arrow. No, actually, I think that, that, that is a wrong way to put it, seriously. Because, see, the, the, just to put it this way, you're shooting a silver flame or shooting an iron wheel. It's pretty much no good if you want to put an NIS with the arrow vein on it. You can't shoot it. With the arrow vein, yeah. Yeah, you can't shoot it. Yeah. You literally cannot. Especially if the guy wanted to shoot an 80 pound, 80 pound ball with a 31 straw. There's no way in hell you can do it. But in my opinion, I would rather, it, de- it depends, I would rather talk to that guy about his broadhead than changing the arrow. Well, but 
I, it will be okay, but most of the guys who actually call me, those are the guys who had to read enough. It's close, close to impossible for them to change the product. Yeah. So because the they've spent that, so much on it. They but, already bought it. But here's the thing. Go to Facebook Marketplace, <laughs> put it online. People are going to buy it, sell it. 100%. And I'm kind of the – every year I've got a different broadhead sitting on the front of my arrow. I mean, y'all ain't knows what I'll be shooting this year. <laughs> right. But um, that's one thing. That's probably one of the – the first question is ask, what, what broadhead are you shooting? Yeah, because that's that, what it should be. That's that's kind of that's going to dictate the way the rest of this conversation goes. Right. You know, if you're shooting an iron wheel, or if you're shooting, um, and not saying that these these heads are bad by no stretch of the imagination. You know, the the um, annihilator. Okay, those two arrows, uh, the regular Exodus. Mm -hmm. um, you're not shooting an arrow vein. No, yeah. You're going to be shooting a boning blazer or a Mini HP, yep. something like that. You're not going to be shooting something with a ton of control. Um, so and that's kind of how we navigate those muddy waters. But So here's another perspective to look at. The people that are coming to you and the people that are coming to you right. care a lot about what they're doing. Right, absolutely. The other end of the conversation, the people in this room, mm -hmm. the last thing they think about is the broadhead. Right. I'm going to go to Walmart and pick up a pack of whatever's cheapest is how, how it goes. Pack of expandable Allens. Right. But, they, <laughs> but, those, but those same people are on YouTube thinking I need a 200-grain broadhead right. or whatever because they think the arrow weight matters more than what broadhead I'm shooting. Right. And I would like to see the conversation flipped. Try to get it switched around, and I agree. Um, good luck with that. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll help you in any way I can. I just think that there needs to be more emphasis. Like, you need to think about you need what what your first question, your first question is always what broadhead are you shooting? They might, oh, right. they might think, oh, I don't know. But they've come to you for arrows. I get that a lot. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm open to suggestions. I get that quite a bit, too, to be honest. <laughs> but, they, but they know what arrow they want. Yeah. And they know what weight they want to be in. Oh, yeah. They want a 550-grain rip TKO. Yep. All what day. broadhead are you going to put on it? Oh. I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you want to put a giant broadhead on it, it ain't gonna work. No bueno. Yeah. It ain't gonna work. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I I um I encourage you to listen to that conversation with Troy and um, Josh Jones and Brandon McDonald. Was it one of your podcasts? No. Okay. It was. It's on Brandon's YouTube channel. Okay. Brandon McDonald's YouTube channel. All right. I'll look it up. And Troy's trying to understand more about bows. Because yeah, he's very um. Yeah, I'll just leave that one. He's on. a tune-the-arrow guy, not a tune-the-bow guy. Yeah. He believes that your bow is what your bow is, but you can work with your arrow mm. if you don't ha – if you don't – he thinks tuning a bow might be too hard or whatever the case is. Right. So I commend him. He's trying to learn more about how a bow works and why, by what I mean by a bow, a modern compound bow because mm -hmm. he doesn't have a great understanding of, like, how you can manipulate it. Josh Jones is the complete opposite. He's – your bow – has to be perfect, and you can take that bow if it's perfectly tuned, and take three different kinds of arrow combinations, and they'll all fly great. Troy's is the other way. Mm -hmm. You'll have one arrow that works. You'll have one combination of broadhead weight and arrow weight and spine that's going to work. But if your bow's tuned, you can have a couple different combinations that are still going to fly well. You agree? Fly. With Fly reasonably well, not right. perfectly. See, the fly word, well is the key. Um, to define what the word well is. Yeah. Because I you mean, fly well you for penetration, fly well for recovery, fly well for tuning. forgiveness, tunability. Tuning. And then not to mention, remember, when you say a blow fly well, it's based on the shooter and the hole. It's not a crossbow. Well, that's, yeah. So you fly well under a perfect condition and fly well on a three-cent saddle, on a three-cent or a saddle condition are totally different because the geometry is different. That's unfortunately another topic that is kind of glazed over is the ability of the shooter. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, like John Dudley's points that he's trying to make, aren't relevant to the regular shooter because he is a world-renowned archer. So he can do a lot of different things. He can shoot an animal at 120 yards. Well, I'll never be able to. Well, it's the same thing by my conversation with Rod White and Jim Burnsworth. And also Tim Gillingham. It's like those guys are shooters. I mean, they are machine shooters. Yeah. I mean, they shoot so much. I mean, just like Levi. I mean, even Levi, I remember the time when he first started. I remember when he was just coming out 18, we talked. If he did not practice for during the first, the second year when he was shooting elite, he didn't do well. Yeah. 
he had not built them into a system as fully automatic. He still need to practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. But for the guys like uh, like uh, Brad White, like uh, Tim Gillingham, it's pretty much automatic. Yeah. They have done so much to the point it's totally in their memory. Muscle exactly. memory. Yeah. Yes, they will do well. They, when they hold the bow, it's going to be exactly 90, the whole rest. It's like riding a bike. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think uh, that's something like understanding the consumer, understanding the ability of the shooter. Those things change a lot. Like, And that's probably another reason why, even though it may not be right, Four veins and heavy arrows are so popular. Because it's so forgiving in so many ways. It, you make the arrow so slow, and then uh, in most cases, you don't shoot far. You couldn't shoot far. Even if you shoot far, the penetration is off. And they're like, again. this is the best thing I've ever shot. And it's like, probably because you're not that great of an archer. Right. <laughs> drop, another one, drop away rest. Yeah. That's another one. Yeah. I mean, a drop away rest is like fighting a long-range rifle and shaw the barrel off. Well, I, I don't know. That's where I'm, I'm a different ball game. Mm -hmm. Why? You you give me a Hamski Epsilon rest all day long. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll make that bow drive some tacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, I, I prefer a drop But if away. you give me something like a, a lizard tongue to a guy that can't, that's not a shooter, mm -hmm. it's, me. yeah, we're going to, it's, you might as well just, we're going to go fly kites or. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put my bow, I'm yeah. going to sell it. And yeah. I'm gonna take up golf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah I'm, I'm not a great. I'm I'm this guy. I'm not a great archer. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's and when I first started toying around with things, I was like, oh, these do fly great. Well, it's probably just because it's hiding how bad I am. Well, it's the same as automatic <laughs> transfer to manual. If you are not a good driver, automatic always helped. But then as technology improved, like the draw rest now is so good, it helped you out to shoot. Yeah. I mean, when uh, Trophy Taker first made the draw rest, everybody was laughing at it. You know. Mm -hmm. Because it, you drop the freaking arrow rest before the arrow have the maximum, uh, what do you call it, uh, support. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that, first of all, nobody's shooting 100 yards. No. Nobody has perfect form. No. And with that critical condition, the four-way rest gives you the best of both worlds without demanding you to be an absolute shooter. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll just do it, advertising for myself. If people come Well, you come got about, not to interrupt, but you got about a minute and a half. Well, <laughs> and then saying, these headphones are coming off. Right. I got a customer come to me and absolutely want to buy the fire nut micro just arrow rest. And you know how many people are talking out of it? Because right. I say, if you are not a brand new shooter, you are an old shooter, don't buy it. Yeah. You can't shoot it right. You won't change your form enough to be you, able to shoot yeah, it. Yeah, you won't fusion your form and also your shooting style. Yeah. Yeah, I th and I think the concluding thought on this is if you want more out of what your bow and arrow are capable of, it starts with you. Mm -hmm. It starts with your form and... And what uh, you're capable of. And right. then go around it. Yep. Go with it, not against it or around it. And then it. your advancement in your arrow and what that's capable of, can, can, you can go down that road. They all grow together. Yep, but until you can become a consistent archer, all right. then there it is. But we're getting kicked off here. Thank you, guys. Yes, sir. And we'll do this again soon. Yes, sir.